right. Good morning, Journey Church. I hope that you guys had uh, an amazing Christmas season. I saw some of you guys posting uh, the different gifts that you got online. Some of those were really good presents. And uh, hey, if not, you can always try again next year. Right? Some of you guys got some things that were alive. There were people that got pets. So I saw a dog, uh, a cat, and a hamster. Uh, at least. Maybe you got a bird. Maybe you got something else in between. Are you guys pet people? Just raise your hand if, if you enjoy pets. Anybody? You're, you're an animal person. If you would, just leave your hand up if you're a dog person. Like, you're like, yeah, I prefer, I prefer dogs, right? It's a good group of people. And, uh, hands, if you're a cat person, would you just lift your hand? Look, leave them up. Leave them high. I want everybody to look around so you know, you know who they are, right? So you know. Hi. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time that I ever heard uh, the wives tell, if you will, that cats always land on their feet. And so I was seven years old, and uh, I walk inside, and my mom says something to the effect of cats always land on their feet. And so I hold on to this for about two days, and I'm out in the yard, and, and we had a cat growing up by the name of Suki. And I have no idea how I got that name, but that was his name. And so Suki came walking by, and me, seven years old and curious, I thought, I'm going to find out if that's true. And so I pick Suki up and I throw him as high as a seven-year-old can, which is probably, it wasn't enough to kill him, right? And so, so he hits and sure enough he lands on his feet. And I'm like, man, that is impressive. And so I pick Suki up again and I, I toss him, he lands on his feet. And about ten minutes later I go inside and, and my mom is there and I said, Mom, you, you lied to me. She goes, about what? And I said, cats don't always land on their feet. And she went on doing what she was doing in the kitchen. And about 30 seconds later I hear her go, hey, come here. And so I walked back into the kitchen. She said, how do you know that cats don't always land on their feet? <laughs> I was like, I will never tell, right? Suki hung around for another month or so, and he went on about, about his business. Look, I want you guys to know I'm not mean to animals, right? I'm not. But I am someone who has always been marked by curiosity. So I want to know how things work. And, and even growing up, I would pour my dad's gas out of his lawnmower and fill it up with water just to see if the lawnmower would run run on water. One day I pulled his hubcap off, filled it up with rocks, put it back on his car, and he was angry when he got home from work. And I was just curious. I want to know how things would work. I would pull them apart and never quite get them back together the right way. But I was marked by curiosity. I had, if you will, an image in the community of being almost like a Dennis the Menace, that, that he is a curious guy always trying to figure out how things work and how they function. And to be honest, it's never quite left. I've just learned to control it a little bit, right? If something's successful, I still want to know why. Like, I want to dig into it. I want to know why things work and why they, they are the way that they are. You too, you're marked by something. The people who know you the best, when they think of you, they automatically think of something. Maybe you're marked as someone who's successful in life. Maybe maybe you're marked as someone who's a fitness buff, right? You're someone who's really concerned about your fitness and you watch what you eat and what you put in your body and the times that you go to the gym are extremely consistent and people know you as someone like that. Maybe you're marked as someone who's curious too and people are always on edge around you because they don't know quite what you're going to do. Companies too are marked by things, right? When you think of McDonald's, you think of French fries and messed up orders, right? That's what you think of. They're marked as a company that, uh, that, that has really great fries, but they're probably going to mess up anything else that they put in the bag. And Chick-fil-A, on the other hand, when you think of that, they're marked by excellence. Most people, when they think of Chick-fil-A, they think, now that is a, 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 a fast food company that is ran with excellence. They're marked by excellence. That's what you think of when you think of them. Churches are no different. Right? We're marked by things. There are things 
that Journey is known for in the community. And when you mention Journey, the people who know us and know us best think of certain things. But I want you to think through this. The church as a whole, not just here at Journey Church, but the church as a whole for over 2,000 years has been marked by worship. It has always been and will always be marked by worship. From the time that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back into heaven, one of the things that the church has always done is the church has always worshipped. Listen, and it will always worship. That is what we are marked as as a church. We are marked as a group of people who choose to worship. Now, it may be surprising to know that worship for a little over 2,000 years, really hadn't changed that much, right? Now, I'm not saying uh, right after Jesus ascended to heaven, they had moving lights on a platform and, and electric instruments, right? No, but, but the structure of worship really hadn't changed a whole lot since Jesus ascended back into heaven. There was a time in the early church where they would read the Word, they would spend some time in prayer, somebody would expound on Scripture, they would sing some songs that normally ended in the Lord's Supper. They did pretty much the same things that we do, and we will continue doing them until Jesus returns to us. We are a people who are marked by worship. Now for our reasoning today, I want to give you just a short definition of what worship is. And so worship is this, if you'll write it down. Worship is the act of expressing my love to God. Worship is the act of me expressing my love to God. Now if you're married, you know that that love is not just a feeling, right? It's not something that you just have inside of you. You don't have butterflies all the time after you've been married for 15 or 20 years. Those things kind of, they kind of come and go, right? Feelings come and go, but you choose to act in love anyway. And so even when you're not feeling it, you choose to love one another. It's a choice that you make, but that love always requires action. So it's never enough for you to look at someone and go, I love you, but do absolutely nothing to serve them. And so for our definition, I would say this, that worship for us, for me, for you, it's the act. In other words, there is something that we have to do. It's the act of us showing our love toward God. It's not just feelings, right? It's not just chill bumps and it's not just the hair standing up on the back of your neck. But worship is you choosing, regardless of your feelings, to act in, in love toward the one that created you, to act toward God. Scripture commands us to do it. In the book of Psalms, it says this. It says, Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Right? There are actions in there that we worship Him. And there's a gladness that comes in that. And we sing and we do it with joy. Worship is something that we do. It's not necessarily just something that we feel. Now, Jesus, when He was walking, He taught on worship. And so one day, Jesus traveling to a town... And uh, he takes kind of a, a side trip, if you will, and he ends up in a place called Samaria, and he has a conversation with a lady about worship. And I want to read quite a few passages. We're going to read 20 verses, and I'm thankful that you guys are super smart, so we can read a lot of verses here at Journey. So we're going to pick up John chapter 4, verse 4, and it says this. He had to go through Samaria on the way. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? 
And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So Jesus is turning the conversation to something spiritual. But sir, you do not have a rope or a bucket, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? So she's saying, sir, I don't know you, but who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And that sounds really inviting if you have to go to a well every day. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. And please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. You aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. Now she does what what anybody skilled at debate would do, and she changes the subject. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about Him for salvation comes Through the Jews. Listen, don't miss this. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship Him. He's looking intently. He's searching for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Look, we're not going to cover a lot today. But I want you to get a few things from this passage. And the first one is this. It's that your ability to worship is not determined by your upbringing, your social standing, your circumstances, your education, your past, anything of that sort. Your ability to worship is not determined by what is going on around you or what has happened in your past. It has absolutely very little, if anything, to do with your ability to worship. Now, don't miss this. We read a bunch of verses because I want you to see who exactly it was Jesus was talking to. And so he stops being completely God. He knows what's about to happen. He's tired. He sits down at a well to take a break. He sends his disciples off to get some food. And he waits for the appointment that is about to happen. He knows that a lady is coming to the well at noon. And so she shows up at about noon. And she comes to draw water. And so she carries her jug. She's getting ready to draw water out of the well to put it in her jug to take it back to her home so that she and her family or she and the guy she's living with at least will have water to cook and to bathe and do all the things that you do with water. Now, it wasn't normal for someone to come at noon, right? Nobody sits around and goes, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick something really strenuous to do and I'm going to do it at the hottest part of the day. But that's probably the best time to do it. And I'm going to get up in the cool in the morning or go in the cool of the evening, which was when all the other women in the village would go and get water. I'm going to go in the middle of the day. And the conversation that she has with Jesus shows us why she's going in the middle of the day. She's not going because 
It's the most convenient time. She was not a lady with a great reputation. I'm sure very few people looked at her and said, there's someone that I would love for my kids to model their life after. If a husband got caught talking to her, I'm pretty sure a fight happened when he got home, right? This is the kind of lady that we're talking about. And so she comes in the afternoon so that she doesn't have to deal with or talk to anyone else. She literally comes to avoid the kind of questions that Jesus starts to ask her. That's what she's doing. She's, I'm coming in the middle of the day. Nobody else is going to be there. I'm going to do this. Nobody thinks that I'm worthy of anything. And Jesus takes someone who is the lowest in society and has a conversation with her about how you're supposed to truly worship the Father. And look, through that you get this simple truth that it's not your circumstances or your past that determine your ability to worship God. They didn't determine it at all. In fact, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're just as qualified to worship as anyone else. Whether you consider yourself to be successful or you consider yourself to be a failure or whether you walked in and your life was as good as it's ever been or you walked in and your life was as bad as it's ever been, you have just the same right to worship the God who created you and loves you. And here's why. I don't know if you notice it. I'm sure you do, but we're a mod podge of people here journey. <clears throat> We're different. Right? We're different. We come from different different backgrounds. We come from, from different social upbringings. We come from different sides of a political spectrum. We look different. We like different things. There's a segment of people that were up until 12.30 watching football last night, right? And there, there's a segment of people that, that were in bed at 9 because they could care less about what happens on a field of grass with a ball made out of leather, right? They just don't care. We're, we're all different people. We come from different church backgrounds. If you, We got people that grew up going to Presbyterian church, people grew up Baptist, people that grew up going to Catholic church. I know this. We're all different. And we all come together, and we all come together to worship the God who created us and loves us. And if you have a relationship with Him through Jesus, then you have the ability to worship Him regardless of what's going on in your life. Right? You got it. You have the ability to worship Him. So look at the person next to you. Maybe you think they're super successful and have life completely together. I want you to know this, is they need forgiveness just as much as you do. There's not one person in this room that has the ability to do anything for God. He has chosen to offer us forgiveness. And look, as they say, the ground is level in front of the cross. There's no one person more important than the other. And so Jesus is talking to a lady that everyone else would have looked down on. And he has this super theological conversation revealing to you and revealing to me that we all have the ability to worship the God who created us if we come to him the way that he asked us to come. We are a modge podge of different people, but we all come here to worship God. And if worshiping God means that we're expressing love to Him, then there's a verse in Luke that we need to look at. And so Jesus is having a conversation with a guy, and he asks him, he says, hey, what's the, the most important commandment? And the guy gives him this answer, and Jesus affirms it later, saying, you're right. And he says this, he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Look, here's the second thing I want us to notice. Is that if we're going to truly worship God, it's going to require our entire being. It's going to require all of you. Like, you can't segment worship. You can't go, alright, I'm just going to kind of use this part of my life and I'm going to use that to worship and then I'm going to use this other part of my life to chase after my dreams. I'm going to use this other part of my life. It takes all of you. If you're really going to worship, then it requires your total being. And he breaks it down right here. He says, here's your total being. That if you're going to love God, if you're going to worship Him, then it's going to take your heart, it's going to take your soul, it's going to take your mind, and it's going to take your strength. That's what it's going to take. 
that if you're really going to worship God, it's going to take these three things. Jot it down. First off, it's going to take your intellect. It's going to take your mind. You actually need to engage your mind to worship. Look, worship is not some kind of mindless ritual where we just come in and we do the same things over and over again. It should always require you to engage your brain. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, you should think about things that are difficult. You should. You should read books about God that are hard to understand. Look, you should be reading the books of the Bible that you keep skipping over because they're a little difficult to figure out. But we should engage our minds when we are followers of Jesus. It requires you. He gave you a brain to think with. And when we're worshiping, it requires us to think. Look, it should be truth. So everything that we sing, everything that we say from a platform should engage our brain. We should know that what is going on is true. We're not just singing things because they feel good, but we're saying and singing things about God because they're true. Because they're true and they're right. You know what separates us from the majority of creation? is our ability to reason and think on a whole other level. We can reason and think far beyond any other thing that God has created. And so when we worship or we live life in a way that we're not engaging the brain that He gave us and we're not stretching our thoughts and learning new things about Him, then we're doing God a a disservice, if you will. We should always engage our brain. Look, some of our, our, our church friends that came from Presbyterian background, or maybe you would describe yourself as Reformed, or maybe you're, you're a Calvinist like a frozen chosen, like you get this. People that kind of hang out in this circle of worship, they understand it. They love to read old people, right? They, they love to read books that are old from people who died a long time ago that are really hard to understand. They get it. They like to, to stretch their brain. They like sitting in a classroom setting, right? It just blows some people's mind. You can't understand it. Why would anybody choose to do that to learn more? They, they love digging into the Word. Listen, here's the positive. They love the Word of God. I mean, they love it. People with a natural bend toward worship this way, they love the Word of God. They love digging into it. And to be honest, they would rather be in a small group talking about something than they had been in this room right here, right? They would just love to spend more time digging into it. But, but here's the danger. Like, if this is you, this, this is my natural bend, by the way. I love studying. Like, I enjoy it. I would go back to school, but I, I just don't find a reason to, right? I like it. I love sitting in those settings. I like learning new stuff. And so you learn a lot about God, but the danger is this, is that sometimes you get so focused on getting the Bible right that you forget to get the message out, right? We, we're going to focus so much on getting the message right that we forget to get it out. And God didn't call us to learn everything we can know about Him. He called us to share His message with the world. And so if all we do is hang out here, then we miss it. But look, don't miss the fact that worship should always engage your mind. If you've been leaving your mind at the door and just hoping to feel something when you walk in, for heaven's sakes, go pick it up. You need it. You need it. God gave it to you. You need to engage it when you're in the middle of worship. So we engage our intellect, our mind. But we also engage our emotions. Worship is an emotional experience. He said this, he said that you should love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. He's not necessarily talking about the eternal part of your being there. He's talking about the emotions that God has given you. You are an emotional being. And I get it. Some of you guys in here, you probably haven't cried in like 30 years and, and you're thankful for it. Listen, God gave you emotions. He gave you emotions. And when you ignore them, you're missing out on some of the things that God wants you to experience. Maybe you grew up like I did, where, where worship was absolutely non-emotional, right? We would, we would hold our hymnal, we would sing our songs, 
if you got excited, you walked out of the room, right? The, the, the only guy that made any noise during the service whatsoever was the one deacon who would say amen, and it was so rare that if he said it, the pastor would stop preaching because he didn't know what was going on, right? You know, it's just no emotion whatsoever, and, and that, that was me. That's where I was at until I was a teenager, and I began to see people worship in a different way. I remember the first time that I saw someone worshiping in a way I didn't understand. I, I did like some of you guys do. It's fun to stand in the back of the room and, and watch the different types of people at Journey Worship. And sometimes some people are getting into it, right? And they're raising their hand, or maybe they're here. Maybe they're moving so much you almost think they're dancing. And, and I did what some of you do the first time I experienced. I looked at them and went, they're crazy. Right? They, they done lost their mind. Like, somebody help them. The first time I saw someone raise their hand, I was like, hey, they got a question, right? So somebody stop the service. There's something that they need. Something, something's gone wrong. Let, let's help them out. I had no idea what was going on, but I began to grow and I began to mature, mature in my walk with God. And I had a mentor who took me and said, look, Daniel, worship requires emotion. It isn't just about being right. But it requires emotion. You're an emotional being. God created you with emotions. And for you to ignore them is to ignore part of who God created you to be. And I remember talking to him going, I don't know what people are doing. Right? I don't, I don't get it. See, my, my intellect part is going, there has to be a reason. Like, you don't raise your hand for no reason. Like, what are, what are they doing? And so we began a conversation. He goes, I, I can share with you what those things mean, as far as I understand. And so we walked through this, and at the end of it, I realized that maybe these people aren't crazy, right? Maybe they're experiencing God in a way that I should be experiencing Him. And he said, look, I don't know about you, but, but when someone asks a question and you know the answer, you raise your hand, right? He said, I can't speak for everybody, but when I raise my hand, I'm saying, look, I, I know the answer. Like, I know the ultimate answer. Not like two plus two, but I know the ultimate answer, and that's the person of Jesus. And I raise my hand. I'm saying, I know the person of Jesus. He said, you raise your hand one other time, and that's when you agree with someone. You guys just did it. I said, hey, are you pet people? Do you love animals? And all of you in the room that love Jesus, you raise your hand, right? You raise them up high. You're like, yeah, we, we love animals. You are agreeing with me. And so you raise your hand in worship. You're agreeing with what you're singing. You're saying, look, I know this to be true about the one that I'm singing about. This is true. You're engaging your intellect and your emotions all at the same time. Then some people get really crazy with it, right? They got both hands out and that people can't sit around them because they start swaying, right? And people, people are just getting wore out, right? This is boom, here, gone. You can't, you can't do it sometimes. There's so many people in the room. So I'm like, what, what is that about? He said, listen, you're approaching God with open hands. And you're saying, I have absolutely nothing to offer you. I got nothing. I can't bring anything to you, but here I am. Right? Here I am. God, would you teach me? Oh, the next few moments, teach me something about yourself. Here I am. Would, would you fill me up? Like, fill me with your Spirit. And then when people are really into it, it's both hands in the air, right? Like, those are the ones you guys stare at. I see you. They got both hands in the air. And it's like, what are they doing? I don't understand what's going on. Like they must really be feeling it. It's kind of where we land. But, but growing up, I had two brothers, and we would play fight. Right? If you have kids, your kids play fight, just raise your hand. Right? You play fight, it starts as playing, but it never ends that way, right? There's a cheap shot somewhere in there, and, and, and then it turns into a real fight. And I was the youngest and the weakest. And so generally, the way that a fight would end in our house was, I'd get one last cheap shot in, and then I'd go, I quit. Right? I surrender. 
I quit. And that meant you can't do anything to me in my mind. And it worked because my mom favored me over my two brothers. And so she would tell him, you can't touch him. He's the youngest. He's fragile. Leave him alone. All right, so listen. Listen, I, I can't speak for everybody in the room, but I do know this. There are times when we're worshiping and God is speaking to my heart and I'm simply going, Lord, I surrender to you. Right? Everything that we're singing is true and there are parts of my life that aren't in line with where you want me to be or who you want me to be. And so here I am. I'm all yours. I surrender. I surrender. I'm yours. I'm yours. Listen, people that worship with emotions, let me just clear it up. They're not crazy. God gave us emotions to experience. And I would say this, that at Journey Church, we probably need to be a little bit more emotional. It, it wouldn't hurt. Maybe, maybe you lift your hands for the first time ever, but people should walk through the doors of our church and they should say, man, I don't know about those people, right? They're a little bit different, but, but man, they sure believe what they're doing, right? They believe in the God that they're singing about and the God that they're singing to. So when we worship, we don't leave our brains at the door. We worship with our mind. We also worship with our emotions, with it, with our, our inward being. Well, let's dive into it a little bit more. Just to know this, that God is not looking for people who know Him philosophically but never experience Him. He isn't looking for people that know a bunch of things about Him but never spend time with Him. That's not what He's looking for. He's looking for people that have a relationship with Him, that spend time with Him, that allow Him to speak into their life. One of the things I enjoy doing, and I get a chance to do it when we're off over the holidays, Sometimes I enjoy reading biographies, right? And right now you guys are going, wow, he is a boring guy, right? That, that, I, like, I like reading biographies of former presidents, especially those who, who are already dead. So the early presidents. So Washington and, and, and Theodore Roosevelt and Jefferson. Some of the, I love reading about them. And, and you learn a lot from leadership, just, just reading the way that they carried out and they led our nation. Sometimes good, sometimes not so much. So I sit down and I'll read it, and I can learn a lot of stuff about them. And you know what? I would love to sit down with Theodore Roosevelt. I'd love to. He is the third manliest man to ever walk on the earth. You, you have Jesus Christ himself, who's the manliest man. You have Mike Mazingo, and then you have Theodore Roosevelt, right? That, that's what you got. This guy is a manly man. I would love to just sit down with him and to hang out and to learn from him, but you know what? I can't. You know why? Because he's dead. You can't. You can't have an experience like a meal with someone who is dead. I have good news for you. We can experience Jesus because He's not dead. He's alive. In fact, He rose up from the grave. And so we can experience Jesus. We don't just have to know about Him. We actually can know the person of Jesus. So when we worship, we worship with our intellect, with our mind. We worship with our emotions. And I love, I love people that hang out in this circle. You know, they, they love the Spirit of God, and they're always looking for God to do something. So people, our, our, our Pentecostal-leaning brothers and sisters, this, this is where they would hang out. They're always expecting God to move and to do something. They're always looking for what He's up to. They're going to Walmart, and they're like, I wonder what God's up to in Walmart. Like, somebody's about to get saved on aisle 7. Right? It's going down. God, God is going to do something in here today. Look, there's, there's, there's good stuff there. Look, the danger is this. The danger is this is that sometimes we can get so focused on having an experience that we do it with the neglect of truth. So we get so focused on experiencing God that we miss that first part, that we miss that it actually should be true, and we begin to value experience over truth, and it turns into, man, I didn't get goosebumps today, or I didn't feel it, so nothing must have happened when the truth is feelings come and go, but truth always remains the same. 
Right? So we worship in truth. We also worship with the emotions that God has given us. And then, look, he ends it this way, that we should worship, we should love God with our actions, with our strength. We should love Him with our strength. 98% of the men in the room right now, this is where they land. Just give me something to do. Right? I, I don't want to sit and study. I don't want to act all emotional. I just want to do something. Like, give me a task to complete. If there is someone that needs a ramp built so they can get a wheelchair in their house, man, call me. I'll go do it. Someone needs help moving. Someone needs a new floor in their home. They need groceries. You let me know and I will do something. And so right here, loving God with our actions. He uses the word strength, that you should love the Lord your God with all of your your strength. That means that you're doing something, right? That you're active. So worship is not just something that we do in this room. It's not just engaging our mind. It's not just engaging our emotions and singing things that are true about God or learning things that are true about Him from His Word. It's also about us taking that outside of the walls and living it out by serving other people. And so if we nail the first two, but we miss the third one, listen, we're still missing it. We're still missing it. Worship in here, in this room, is meant to be something that inspires you and that builds you up so that you go outside of the walls and you continue to worship God by serving and loving other people and sharing His mission, His mission and His message with them. So we engage our intellect, we engage our emotions, we engage our actions. Listen, the people who camp out in this circle, they absolutely love the mission of God. They love it. They're all about spreading the gospel. They're all about growing the church. So this is what we're about. We want the church to grow because people need to know the message that God has given us to share. And people who camp out in this circle love the mission and they love serving. Look, but here's the danger. Here's the danger. We can become so focused on getting it out that we neglect the time we should be spending with God and our relationship with Him never deepens. Listen, we become so busy that we forget the one that we're serving. We can become so busy doing things that we totally forget who we're doing them for. And so where should you be? Right? Where should you be as an individual? If worship is loving the Lord with your, with your mind, if it's loving the Lord with your heart and your soul, and it's loving the Lord with your strength, then where should you be hanging out? Which one of those three circles should you be living in? I'd say you should be living in all of them. Right here. You should be living right in the middle. That's truth. That's true worship. True worship is someone who is loving God with their heart, they're loving Him with their soul, and they're loving Him with their mind. That is true worship. We're engaging all of those things that God has given us. And listen, God is searching for people brave enough to worship Him in truth. He's searching them. In that passage, Jesus literally says that these are the type of people that God is looking for. If you trace that back to the original language it was written in, it means that He's intently searching for these type of people. He's not just scamming through a room. He's not just going, eh, I wonder if there's anybody in here who will worship. He literally is going throughout the earth and He's searching for these type of people. But you search for things that matter to you, right? If you lose your car keys... You search for them intently, right? You search for them intently, but the truth is you know you can get another set. If you got a thousand dollars in cash laying around and you lose it, you search with a lot more focus than you do when you lose your car keys, right? You can't get that back. You search for it intently, with great intent. You look, you, you're digging in cushions, 
You're searching the kids' room. You're throwing their clothes out of their drawer. You're looking in any purse or wallet that they have. You're emptying everything that is in your car, right? It looks like someone has executed a search warrant in your home because you're going to find it. You are looking for it with every bit of intent that you can possibly muster. That is what's happening in this passage. That's it. He says God is looking intently, that intently. He is searching for people who are brave enough to actually worship Him in spirit and truth. That's what He's looking for. He's looking for men. Look at me, men. He's looking for men that aren't afraid to say, you know what, I do, I love engaging my mind and I love serving, but I also understand that God gave me emotions and I'm not going to neglect them anymore. He's looking for that. He's looking for men brave enough to love Him and to worship Him. Not just with their intellect, but also with their emotions. He's also looking for people who aren't leaving their brain at the door. He is searching for people who will love Him with every part of their being. Look, He says that, then He, in, he invites us to worship. So He teaches about, about worship, and then He invites to worship. The woman says this, she's like, man, you obviously know a lot. Let me change the subject again. She said, I know a Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, and when He comes, He will explain everything to us. In other words, you're a really smart guy, and one day we're going to have all this figured out. And Jesus says this, He says, that's me, I'm the Messiah. I I am the Messiah. In four words, Jesus makes a claim to divinity, invites the lady to worship, and reveals to her that He is the only one worthy of worship. In just four words, He's saying, listen, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one that's here to straighten worship back out, right? I got it. I'm the one that you've been waiting on, and I'm the only one that is worthy of your worship and your attention. It's me and me alone. And He invites her to worship with Him. The baby born in a manger, listen, declares He is the Messiah, God in the flesh, and that He alone is worthy of being worshipped. And listen, church, He's worthy when things are good in your life, He's worthy when things are bad, and He's worthy when it seems like you're just skimming by. He is always, always worthy of your worship. Maybe you walked in the room and, man, life is good. You had an amazing Christmas. You got lots of presents that you didn't deserve. Right? It's just a good time. It, your whole family behaved, right? And it's just super odd. You didn't expect it to happen. Everybody minded their manners. Nobody said anything they shouldn't say. And you walk in, and the kids have been minding. They've been enjoying their presence and, and not tearing anything up. And you're like, man, life is good. It's good. When life is good, God's worthy to be worshipped. Or maybe you walked in, and your kids have already tore up everything that you spent money on. Maybe Christmas for you was hectic, or maybe you spent it all by yourself, and life just feels really empty right now. I want you to know that whether whether life's really good or whether life's really bad or whether it's in between, in any of those cases, He is always worthy of your worship simply because of who He is. He's worthy. So when you walk in the in the back of that room every week, and, and some days you feel like worship, and let's be honest, some days... You don't, that regardless of how you feel on that day, He's worthy of being worshipped. He's worthy of it. Here's some next steps. The first one is this, it's to accept the new life that Jesus offers. You could have walked in today and you may have just thought, man, I just feel dead on the inside. Look, I have some good and some bad news. You, you may feel dead on the inside because you are. There's a part of you that is created to live forever, but, but the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, which means ultimately your body's going to die, but there's a part of you that's meant to live for eternity, and it's dead until Jesus breathes new life into it, until you get the living water that He's talking about. And so maybe you came in and, and you felt dead on the inside, and today God's gift to you would be to breathe new life to you. 
to give you new life, to give you life that will never end, life that will last for all of eternity. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for the different people that that make up Journey. For the different backgrounds that we come from. God, I thank you for the mod podge of, of people that we are. God, I thank you that regardless of our background, our circumstances, or even what's going on right now in our present reality, that, that you love us, that you care for us, and we have the ability to worship you. God, would you give us the courage to do it? If you're here this morning and you've never accepted the forgiveness of God that is found in Jesus, I, I want to give you a chance to do that. And I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. This is between you and, and the God who created you. You just need to simply say, Lord, today I realize I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me new. Lord, today I invite you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. God, I thank you for anyone who just said that. God, would you give them the courage to share it? Hey, if you just said that prayer, I want you to know that in the back of this room, there's a room we call the VIP room. And you just made the first and most important step in your relationship with God. And we want to help you make the steps after that. And so on your way out this morning, if you would, would you stop by that room? We, we just have some free things that we want to put in your hands. We want to pray with you and just help you along that walk. Help you experience the things that God wants you to experience now that you belong to Him. Maybe you're here you made that, that, that decision a while back. Or maybe you made it a week ago or two weeks or years even ago. I would say a next step for you. As a matter of fact, the most important step that you can make stepping out of 2018 and jumping into 2019 is that you commit to developing a personal time of worship with God. Dude, you need a consistent personal time of worship with the God who has created you. Anytime I get the honor of sharing a message, I I pray the same thing. I go, Lord, would you teach me something that I can share? So I don't want to stand on a platform and share something that looks good, that, that sounds good, that I hadn't applied to my own life. And so I pray the same thing every time. I say, Lord, would you teach me something? Change something in my heart. Change something in my life so that I can share it. And so this past week, we were off most of the week, and, and Wednesday I sat down at my kitchen table and and I put my headphones on because my daughter's out of school too and, and it's loud at the house. And so I put my headphones on and, and I cut on some worship music. And I just began to hang out with God. And I began to read some passages and I began to pray through what He was teaching me and what, what He was showing me. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, a song comes on that I've heard three or four hundred times and, and I've engaged it intellectually. Where I knew it. I knew what it was talking about. I could explain to you. I could tie it back to the Bible. I knew what it meant. I knew what was going on. But for some reason, that, that day at my kitchen table with headphones on in my pajamas, I experienced it in a different way. And the course of the song goes like this. It goes, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. And when I heard those words... God convicted me 
And I was reminded of a truth that, that the God of the universe, the King of the universe, has given me the right to come into His presence whenever I want to. At any point of my day, at any point in my life, I can step into the presence of the King of the universe, but I neglect it. And I say, Lord, I'm going to get to that, but I've got to finish these tasks first. I've got to do these other things, and then I'm going to get to that. I promise I'm going to get to that time with you. And listen, tears began to stream down my face as I realized that I've been neglecting the most important thing in my life. My personal worship of the One who created me. Look, I want you to know that the most impactful thing that you can do in your life moving into next year is you can develop a personal time of worship with God that includes music, that includes prayer, and that includes reading of the Bible. It will change the way that you parent. It will change the way that, you, that you're a husband or a wife. It will change the way that you do your job. It will literally change everything about you from the inside out. And so the next step for you may be that you simply develop a time of worship. You say, Lord, I'm just going to choose to worship you. I'm going to get up early, or I'm going to go to bed late, or I'm going to take my lunch, whatever it means. I'm going to spend some time with you every day. I'm going to worship. And the final step is this. It's, it's just to worship. Right? It, it felt silly to preach a message on worship and then, then not give us an, a chance to worship. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you guys to stand and, and we're going to close out the worship. That's what we're going to do. We're going to worship together. And I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. For you, maybe that means you come here. Maybe it means you kneel at a chair in front of you. Maybe it means that you lift your hands for the first time ever. But God is inviting you to worship Him. And we're going to end the day by doing that. So would you guys stand? Would you stand? And let's worship together.